introverted noise. Hurry up, Daddy. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. Back with the doctors, back talking Vikings. Dr. Eric, eager, my man. How's it going? How you doing? How you been? Things are going good. Uh, you know, uh, a little bit. I, I was so looking forward to football that I watched a Arena League football playoff game today. And while the under did not hit uh, because of two last, literally last minute touchdowns, it was still entertaining. And it's got me jacked up for uh, the football season, specifically the Vikings. Yes, sir. And uh, what I've also noticed we have going on there, uh, we got some facial hair coming in. What's uh, what, what, are we, what are we doing here? Are we going full goatee? Are we going beard? What's happening? Well, we actually, so there's like a, there's a sponsor for the, the forecast that like, it's called like manscaping. Or Manscape is the brand, and so they sent us like all these the, these like hilarious products. But one of them was actually useful, which is like this beard trimmer thing. So that's like sort of I've been like kind of experimenting a little bit uh, with that uh, in my you know as I as I approach my mid thirties, sort of seeing if I want to like you know go go tea or something like that. So of the of the uh, the styles that you've gone with so far, which one is in the lead in the wife's rankings? Oh, she she like she prefers like basically a day after the the shave. Okay. So and that's normally what I'll go with. Like I'll just use the the trimmer and just trim it down to like a zero all around. But there are sometimes I just let it go, and then like obviously the mustache is a no go for me. <laughs> the goatee is certainly something I've I've experimented with in the past. I. I don't know, man. Every time I look at I, I, if I'm like a little bloated that day, I look a little too too much like Mark Schlereth. So then I'll go away from it, of course. But every <laughs> once in a while, it's good to experiment with. That's amazing. And uh, clean shaven, Nick Olson, my man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Vikings had their first practice with the pads on, so that's always really exciting. Get to actually see people hit each other see Herc Marafa go in there with Pat, see how he's doing. So that's exciting. Are we already going Herc with him? Oh, boy. <laughs> you got that kind of vibe? He's already got it. I feel he, like I, I think I see him with, like, the, the pads rolled up, Sheldon Richardson style, whereas, you know, I, I, I got a Herc vibe with him. Yeah, you know, the pads came on. I was super excited. And then, uh, you know, Chad Graff from The Athletic went and just killed my vibe with his uh, – you know, the biggest standout to me from the Vikings' first padded practice was Alexander Madison. Rotational running back. <laughs> he runs with purpose. He's physical. Who's fun to watch. And I was like, oh. That gets the analytics crowd fired up. I was like, man, <laughs> that can't be it. Not Kirk, not Stefan, Adam, no Irv. It was the plot. Uh, anyway, let's not let's not go too far. We, we can come back around. We'll talk about Mr. Madison in just a little bit. Because on this episode, Spent the last few talking about the teams the Vikings will be facing and 
what those matchups might look like. Figure we'll spend a little bit of time over the next couple of weeks digging a little deeper into the Vikings themselves and what we should expect to see from you know the different uh, parts of the team, offense, defense, the different units within within each of those groups. And uh, before we get too deep into that, we're going to start with the offense, of course. Eric, I guess could you help us understand when you're looking and breaking down a team offensively, which parts of that uh, of the offensive group, quarterback, obviously number one, but as we go through the rest of the team offensively how do we rank things in terms of importance yeah I mean, for me it, it goes you know quarterback obviously uh and then i think it, it sort of going away from and probably tradition i go second to receiver um and then after that it probably takes me to left tackle right tackle um you know maybe tight end uh center uh, and then the two guards, left guard being the the least important of the lot, and then running back. And the running back does get a little bit of a bump if he can catch passes out of the backfield. But he's certainly somebody, then uh, you know, as our consternation over Alexander Madison being praised would show you, it, it's sort of that one of those last things. If you set the table with all those other positions, the running back can eat. Uh, if you don't, then he can't, as we saw a season ago. So. For me, I look at the Vikings, I say, you know, quarterback, you know, is resolved, whether they like it or not. But at receiver, they certainly are elite. Now, are they, are they deep there? Um, not not so much. And we've seen, you know, reports from, you know, our friend Caller and, 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 you know, Eric Thompson uh, on this podcast network, et cetera, saying, you know, the third receivers have really struggled for Minnesota so far in camp. Um, that really, to me, is the biggest question is like, you know, in that second most important position group, do they have enough depth? Because we've seen Diggs get hurt. We've seen Thielen get banged up. Not necessarily miss games, but we've seen him lose effectiveness at times because of being hurt sometimes. Do they have those secondary, you know, tertiary, complementary guys? And I think Irv Smith steps up a little bit there. But again, there's that issue with being a rookie tight end. So I don't know. Like I look at their offense and I I have some optimism, um, but I'm certainly not completely sold on them for sure. Yeah, so Nick, with uh, with everything Eric just kind of laid out there in terms of ranking the positions by importance, all of those things, when you look at the Vikings and this offense that we're going to be rolling out, what are your immediate thoughts in terms of what you're expecting to see, how you're expecting things to roll out? Are you expecting us to, to take the leap that many are hoping here, year two Kirk Cousins, uh, Gary Kubiak coming in, you know, zone scheme, more uh, multiple tight end sets, more play action, more under center. Like, what is it that you're hoping to see? What is it that you're expecting to see when this offense takes the field? Yeah, one thing that I've said before, but it bears repeating, is I think the 2019 Vikings are going to be less talented from a player personnel perspective than the 2018 Vikings. But I also think they're going to be more talented than the 2017 Vikings that was one game away from the Super Bowl. I think just from the perspective of looking at the rosters, Kirk Cousins is a significantly better quarterback than Case Keenum, and the quarterback position matters a lot. I think this version of Diggs and Thielen are better receivers than they were in 2017. This team is a team that lost Sheldon Richardson. Some of their older players are uh, past 30 and coming off down years, so we might not expect them to really break out or anything the way that we were expecting them to be on the upswing as a young, relatively younger team in 2017. So um, I think there's reasons for optimism, but also there's reasons to be a little cautious about it too. And I think it ultimately comes down to 
Um, can Kevin Stefanski be as good as Pat Shermer was scheming? Pat Shermer won assistant coach of the year that year. So obviously he was fantastic, turned a career journeyman into the number one quarterback by DVOA and I think number three by QBR. So an extremely efficient quarterback and an extremely efficient passing offense, despite, you know, not having a lot of talent at the quarterback position, not really having a very talented offensive line. Um, and then last year we saw Filippo get a lot of things he got a lot of things right. I think he got the balance between passing and running right in a lot of ways, but I think he just wasn't putting players in a position to succeed. I think one of the things you'll expect, I expect to see differently with Stefanski is uh, if you take a look at the running game, which uh, doesn't necessarily matter as much as the passing game in terms of predicting wins and losses of games, but the Vikings, they had an above average passing offense or about average, depending on which efficiency metric you're looking at, but the running game was like bottom five. And I think Filippo's perspective there was, um, you know, this is a team coming from Shermer. It's got a little more zone concepts, but Filippo had a lot of success running power concepts, trap, wham, um, ISO, those kinds of things in Philly. And so he came out and he's like, let's just try everything and see if anything works. And it really didn't. And Stefanski is coming in and saying, well, of course, nothing worked because you were just sort of setting them up for failure by being jacks of all trades and, and masters of none. Uh, so instead, we're going to bring in Gary Kubiak. We're going to go full on wide zone. We're going to play towards our undersized but freak athlete linemen like Brian O'Neill, like Garrett Bradbury, um, a little bit like Pat Elfline, who doesn't test as an explosive athlete, but is really good in space and kind of plays more athletic than his testing shows. So I think you're going to see a team that's more suited towards what the quarter, what the, what the players do well. And with, in the passing game, you'll see more dropbacks, more rollouts, more play action. That's something that um, the analytics community thinks play action just works. We need to do it more. And that's something Kirk Cousins said directly. So uh, those are the reasons for optimism. I don't think necessarily that on paper, this is the offense that you should expect to, you know, take the top off. Um, statistically or anything, but I do think um, with DiFilippo, there's room for improvement, and Stefanski doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, Andy Reid levels to make this team into a playoff contender. Yeah, I mean, we saw <clears throat> we saw with with Reid. Uh, I think my my colleague George Shuri tweeted this out, but this idea of in the first 15 plays of a game, you know, Reid at a 70% passing rate. And his EPA on all plays was like 0.35, which is like outrageous. I think they led the league with like 0.2 last year in EPA per play. Um, but in those first 15 plays, they threw all the time and they were even more efficient than they were normally. For me, I look at them and I say, you know, you bring up some great points. I, I think I really like the way that you describe the talent composition because people and I we've gotten into this argument on Twitter uh, this week, but like. The 2017 Vikings gave Case Case Keenum pressure rates that were slightly higher than the 2018 group gave Kirk Cousins. Um, it, if you actually look at like, and I know this isn't the best way to look at it, but if you actually look at like yards per carry, the Vikings in 2017 averaged 3.9 yards per carry, and last year they averaged 4.2 yards per carry. So, and I know league wide rates were higher in 2018, but this idea that the running game was such a disaster that like it everything was kind of also false and so w when I look at this and I think okay what what do the Vikings really need to succeed offensively to me they need two things they need a defense that's going to put them in advantageous positions the entire year like they did in 2017 and then they're probably going to need to acquire a third receiver at some point in training camp 
who can, as you said, Nick, take the top off the defense. I don't really care if that player is like, you know, can catch the ball like really well or hit like, like I literally just am looking for a speed receiver to sort of clear everything out because right now, obviously Treadwell is probably not going to make the team. Uh, BB's kind of a little slot guy, but then Diggs and Thielen aren't really those take the top off the defense type players. Um, and then some of the lower level guys have really struggled and really don't have a pedigree. So for me, if I'm Minnesota, I'm looking at, okay, uh, can I, can I, you know, make an acquisition in this, this, you know, this training camp and get a third receiver to sort of have that kind of speed. Yeah. Taylor, bring him to me. (laughs) Perfect example. Honestly, I mean, if they, you know, honest to me, I think like the perfect one, and I don't know if speed is necessarily his entire game, but like if, if Jarius Wright falls out of favor, you know, I, I honestly think that they should pick him up as well. Like he, he should have been their third receiver anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and like, I don't know, they always, they soured on him because Thielen beat him out, but Thielen's like one of the best receivers in the NFL. So it really shouldn't have been a thing against, uh, you know, uh, Jerry's right so much as a, as a, as a, uh, a compliment to Thielen, I, you know, one of those guys, I think, you know, some of these teams, you know, they're going to have a glut at the receiver position, uh, ten, uh, Tennessee being one of them, Tawan Taylor being, I think, a good example with Adam Humphreys in the fold. So, uh, you know, I, that to me is like the one thing the Vikings are missing uh, is, is really that, like, I, I hate to go in the wayback machine, but the the cadre Ismail to Jake Reed and Chris Carter, not a guy that's going to catch every ball, not a guy, but just a guy that who has enough speed that you have to respect him down the field. <laughs> the missile, boy. Eric taking us I mean, back Cadre, right Cadre Often, like, I think, like, in the old school, like, uh, Paul Charchian, like, uh, fantasy guides, when Ismail went to the Ravens and started having 1,000-yard seasons, he said something like, only only the missile's mom thought he could catch. But, like, he had speed, so other teams had to respect him because he could get behind the defense. Like, honestly, to me, like, that's way more valuable than having a guy like Treadwell one slant all day. Yeah, I think in the dream scenario for Vikings fans looking for like what's the best thing that could happen with the current wide receivers in the stable is Jeff Bidette gets healthy because that's a guy who ran a 4-2-7 at his pro day. Um, really, and he, he looks like it uh, on film too. Um, and, you know, that was a guy that uh, even his college quarterback sort of struggled to not to underthrow him just because of how fast he was. And he tracks the ball well. He's not just like a speedy guy. He's also got good football skills. He's not going to like – fake anybody out or generate a lot of um, separation with his with his out routes or quick outs or slants or anything but as a deep threat as a vertical threat I think he's really interesting his problem is he just can't get healthy and he never has so that's kind of what might be keeping him but it's it's kind of depressing I'm not really high on Chad DB I think he can win one-on-one but the problem is he's just tiny and so what makes Thielen so good as a slot receiver is he's like a big slot receiver. He doesn't really get moved off his line. He's just got a very, like, absolutely outstanding sense of balance and leverage so that he doesn't get shoved off and he can kind of put guys into bad situations and get the leverage that he wants to set up his routes. And when you're like Chad Beebe and you're tiny and you're, you're like 5'9 or something, and 180 pounds, it's just a lot easier to get bullied around in the middle of the field and that so that's tough so you get him out in space and have him run a quick whip route or a quick out or something he can generate a lot of separation he can catch the ball well um but if you're putting chad bb in the slot and you're forcing Thielen to be a split end digs to be the flanker then it's 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 not 
the most exciting combination. Then we know Treadwell, his limitations. Um, Jordan Taylor's like a six, five guy, but he's also like a twig and struggles to separate. So, um, if if Diggs struggles with his health as he has a little bit every year, and or if anything happens to Thielen, knock on wood, then you're you're looking at a very scary depth chart. At the same time, last year this is you know give the credit to the pro scouting team of the Vikings. They picked up Aldrick Robinson um, out of nowhere, and he wound up having having what five touchdowns or something. So maybe this is a situation where it was strange because they never they didn't use him that much. I mean, he had that breakout game against the Rams. And I know he had the deep shot against uh, uh, Miami, but really they like, didn't play him that much. And it just seems like they've, they've obviously tread well. You have to anchor on him a little bit because he's a first-round pick, but, like, they have not been playing the best third receiver. And, you know, I know, you know, some people in the in the Vikings community got a lot of flack for suggesting they should go after the Antonio Browns of the world, the Golden Hates of the world. But, like, I do think because it's such an important position and – if you have the third receiver figured out, Thielen represents such a hack in the slot against other teams like nickel corners, especially as you said, like we think about him, you know, he, he doesn't look that physically imposing, but if you actually look, he's, you know, 6'2", 210. Like he's actually a really big slot receiver in the mold, like kind of like how Chris Carter was. And, and you, it's just about position scarcity. Once you have somebody there, you know, that, that in that third role that can be somebody that the other team has to respect, then you have such a, a positional hack uh, in in Thielen in the slot. It's, it's also the reason why Irv Smith is so intriguing because, again, if you can get that sort of move, uh, you know, uh, athletic tight end to work out, then it is, it, you know, Dallas Clark was such a great player for Indy. You know, all those players, you know, Jimmy Graham, that type of player. But, you know, the issue is, is when – the issue is when – you try to, um, you know, do it through the draft, the hit rate is just so low. So I just, it's hard for me because the Vikings just seem to be taking such, uh, I think, low probability shots with these like secondary receivers that it, it almost hurts the fact that they have the two best, you know, the best duo in the league. Yeah. Like think about how much your nickel cornerback matters. And like, that's just the opposite position on the defense for the third wide receiver. Like it's a position that matters a lot because the receiver position matters a lot. And, you know, despite all the talk about tight ends, you know, most teams are in 11 personnel 70% of the time. If you're the Rams, it's like 90, 95% of the time. And like the opposite extreme, like the Kyle Shanahan's or the, the people running two tight end sets like Doug Peterson in, in Philadelphia, like they're still running 11 personnel the majority of snaps. So, and it sounds like from training camp, like, Irv Smith is going to be getting a lot of snaps. They're running a lot of 12 personnel. They're running a lot of 21 personnel too. So maybe they're going like the Kyle Shanahan route of the, of the, of the, rather than the McVay route where you're seeing more big heavy personnel and you're seeing more running backs, you're seeing more tight ends out there trying to get bad matchups on linebackers who can't cover. And if that's the case, then that's maybe exciting. The only thing that gives me pause there is I just think Irv Smith is such an unrefined receiver. He's fast and he's got some interesting after the catch concepts and you can sort of scheme him open as like a maybe as like a like an end around type player or a, a, like a jet sweep kind of player or maybe just run him with vertical routes down the seam you know Rick Spielman compared him to Jordan Reed coming out of the draft which is obviously high praise and maybe that's where he gets in a few years or something but generally tight ends don't have breakout years their first year so that's the only thing that gives me pause there but if that's what they're aiming towards I think it's a good place to be aiming. And, uh, so, Eric, I had a question for you about the tight end position because this is something that comes up. Obviously, uh, 
I've been, you know, kind of banging the drum for us to, to get a, a move tight end into the offense for a while. I felt like uh, just some of the research that I've done show, shows that having a tight end who can kind of get down the seam, stress the defense, is kind of a cheat code for you on, on offense. But that's the thing that we always hear a lot. You know, tight ends, they do take a long time to develop because the, the tight end position is asked to do so much. But then we did see a couple of years ago, Evan Ingram coming in where everyone got hurt. And then they basically were like, just go catch passes. And he had a good and he had a good season. So with Irv Smith Jr. coming into a situation where if he's the second tight end, he'll likely be out there with Kyle Rudolph, who maybe would be asked to do the blocking or a David Morgan, who might who would definitely be asked to do the, 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 the blocking. Is it possible that kind of putting him out there where he's not the sole tight end being asked to do the traditional tight end things all the time, that that could be something that would speed his development along? Absolutely. But I think like the, the, the benefit of the Shanahanian sort of and the, you know, the 21 and 12 personnel type of stuff is that it's a counter to having a, sufficient 11 personnel group right like the the cool thing is like when you can when you can take a team that's preparing a nickel the entire uh you know the entire uh, week and then you make them play base and a guy like ben gideon who's not used to playing any more than 10 snaps is out there 30 snaps trying to cover tight ends and so my fear is not necessarily that irv smith won't be able to do it my fear is that like it, that will be like their only trick. And, you know, and then, you know, when he's out there, it's sort of one of those things where he is actually going to be asked to do a lot of things because they're in 12 personnel so much. Uh, and we, you know, we won't be able to see him be as efficient because he's going to be out there doing things he's sort of not pr prepared to do yet. Uh, or they have David Morgan in there to do the things that he's prepared to do. But then again, you become predictable by having her, you know, having Irv Smith in there when you're throwing and having Morgan in there when you're running. Uh, so that's my only concern. But, yeah, I mean, it's a hard position because you have to know all the blocking. You have to know the routes. And then, and then frankly, you know, you are required to play around the field more than an average receiver because and, uh, and as an average lineman. Most linemen are in one position the whole game. Tight end, you're on both sides in line. You're, on, you're in that H position. Oftentimes, you're in the backfield. Then you're in the slot. Sometimes you're split out wide. So there's a lot for a rookie to learn. Um, and so the hard part is if you just default down to, okay, we're just going to throw you the ball a lot, then that, that slows down his development. It makes it predictable. Um, and to me, it just stems a lot, again, from this fact that, like, he's probably going to have to play a lot because they don't have a, a ton of talent in the 11 personnel. And, and that's going to make him a little bit less effective as, like, a change of pace type of player. Yeah. And just think about like how much Irv Smith is going to be asked to learn like this offseason and this preseason. He has to learn all the all the blocking rules because he's almost like a sixth lineman in the zone blocking scheme. So he's going to have to learn the foot, the, the footwork, the technique, where to put his hands, everything there. He's almost like an extra lineman. So he has to learn everything they need to know. And then he's also going to be a primary receiver. So he needs to learn how to run all the routes, the full route tree, everything there. So he's got like uh, the coursework of an offensive lineman and the coursework of a wide receiver and at the same time because of the unique nature of the type of tight end he is he needs to learn basically how to line up anywhere on on the on the on the offense whether it's split out wide whether it's in the seat whether it's like in the seam and the slot whether it's in line whether it's off the line whether it's sort of uh uh, uh 
behind the line fullback type position or an H back or something. So it's just a lot to be put on his plate. And for like a 20 year old, 21 year old, that's just a lot to ask to expect like a breakout rookie season. There's also the physicality of the position, which, you know, as, as somebody who played receiver at high school and then tight end in college, like to me, like that was the hardest part, frankly, was the mental part of the game. You study enough, but frankly, like, the, the outside the edge players that you're going up against in the NFL are just a different beast right so in the run game blocking even getting off the line of scrimmage to run your pass patterns the safeties in the NFL are are generally faster and stronger than the ones you see in college so all like like as Nick said all this stuff he's got to learn but also the physical physical you know aspect of playing in the NFL he's just not going to be able to use his superior gifts as much as he did in college Eric, am I hearing that your your college coach did to you what Vikings Twitter wants to do to Laquan Treadwell? <laughs> well, no, to be fair, like I there were a lot of talented wideouts on my team. So yeah, I jumped at the opportunity to play tight end so I could get on the field for sure. All right. Well, there's another thing that's been talked about a lot as we we talk about the offense. And Nick brought it up a little bit there when he was talking about DeFilippo switching to Stefanski. And that's the move from the you know, blocking scheme that we had last year on, in the run game, which was really a mismatch of everything, to now where we're going to be a strictly zone, not strictly, but primarily zone uh, zone offense when it comes to the running game. And I guess I was curious, Eric, from your perspective, the personnel that we have, I know, you know, uh, Elfline, relatively athletic for an interior offensive lineman, Bradbury, likewise, uh, O'Neal, definitely. Uh, when we look at what the, the Vikings have, how do the pieces that we have across the line fit for what we want to do uh, in the run game this year? I think they fit better for sure. And I think Alfline being sort of a more of a move guy um, than he could be at center really helps them. I know Bradbury, when you when you looked at his splits, zone, not zone in college, they looked pretty good uh, relative to each other. So, you know, I'm a fan of it. The issue is, is, Zone blocking is a difficult scheme to execute. Like, what I, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like we calculated that like the probability uh, of being called for holding on outside zone is higher uh, than than any other run scheme. And so like that doesn't show up in like the yards per carry statistics, or I think it does in the success rate statistics. But essentially, like this idea of like you're just gonna be facing second and seventeen every once in a while because. Somebody's going to get called for holding. And it's because you're out there in space and the the referees can see you. Like when you're and, – and, you know, it's one of those things where you're both moving laterally. And if he gets two out in front of you, then, like, you can see your front hand holding onto the, to the shoulder pad. If he gets too far behind you, like, there's, there's always this inclination to sort of bury him, which can often be called for holding. And so – you know, it's one, it's a risky situation. Like they're really going to have to, I mean, it's an execution thing, which, you know, traditional football people will tell you, you know, you have to suck it up and execute the scheme. I think more analytics people are saying, well, you know, screw it. Like there are just some things, you know, play the numbers. The average football player can't execute this all the time as well. So, um, so run, you know, power counterman or run, you know, gap schemes or things like that. Um, so that's my only concern. My only concern is that, you know, the zone running scheme is, is a riskier proposition from the fact that it gets called for holding um, more often than not. It's a beautiful thing when it works, but it, it needs it needs 
you know, a fair amount of, you know, things to work. Dalvin Cook, though, is is the type of back that can really excel in that system, I think. Are there any defenses or or is there a risk when you when you have a athletic, maybe lighter group of, of offensive linemen that if you just go up against a team like, say, the Eagles, they will just overpower you regardless of what it is you're trying to do um, with the with the running scheme? Oh yeah, I you know the the athleticism of defensive linemen is really I mean the the thing with zone that that sort of tries to get you there is sort of like a it's not like a trap but in the some sense what zone often will do is it'll get the the athleticism to flow too quickly and then there's that cutback by the running back uh, especially on like sort of more inside zone and that's really I think where Cook can sort of backbreak it off, uh, a defense um, but you need that patience and we saw it with Adrian Peterson in the Vikings like. He oftentimes just ran up the ass of the offensive lineman because he was so excited to to gain yards that that like wasn't a thing. It does seem like Cook is fairly patient and is willing to allow this to happen because when you have athletic defensive linemen and they see outside zone or or just inside zone, they flow too quickly. Then Dalvin can sort of cut back, uh, you know, on the other side, and it makes those blocks a lot easier uh, for the offensive lineman to sort of like see the fruits of. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's good in combating that prior, you know, the, when the Denver Broncos, you know, were doing this thing historically, it was more because they drafted a type of lineman and their linemen were more athletic than what defensive linemen are used to. I think now that's not so much the case. Like, it's not the sort of like novelty it used to be, but that's really where they gained it was that their linemen were just more athletic than everybody else. I think now it's sort of just like a schematic thing to sort of combat some of the athleticism we see. Uh, on other teams' defenses. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Nick, you brought it up again. You talked about it. Stefanski, and I know, Eric, you've talked about it on previous podcasts. Stefanski coming in, JDF not really maximizing the the talent that he had at his his disposal. Uh, What sort of bump, Nick, are you expecting to see for us when you consider what's going to be happening uh, in the offensive coaching for the Vikings this coming season? I think the biggest thing is that it's just a very low bar to clear in terms of just how poor the passing game was with DiFilippo when you look at maybe like the EPA on zero graded throws, just kind of the throws that are designed by the offense that aren't really giving you anything. And, and you know, the, those are the, the areas where like Andy Reid shines because he'll throw like an easy screen. It's a zero grade because it's just kind of what's expected of the quarterback. He's not really doing any plus play there. But Andy Reid's screen game just destroys teams. Um, or deep lipo or looking at like zero EPA on throws, which is bad. That's really bad. So um, I think it's a kind of a low bar to clear. Um, and I think Kirk Cousins is a good enough quarterback that, like, if Case Keenum can be, like, third in the NFL in QBR, then Kirk Cousins can be that high, too. Uh, you just need to get, like, catch lightning in a bottle with the right offensive coordinator. Is Stefanski going to be like that? No, that's setting your expectations too high, probably. Um, I mean, there's a chance, but chances are most first year, even even great offensive coordinators can struggle in their first year. I think Kyle Shanahan struggled a little bit his first year with the Falcons. So I, I think... Um, 
the the most encouraging thing is like we don't need to be that much better in terms of play calling scheming offensive preparation to be better than last year's vikings in the passing game and i do think the things they're doing that we know that they're doing the the emphasis on outside zone the emphasis on play action on on, on rollouts on bootlegs on the manipulating personnel those are things that we know are effective at generating plus plays for the offense so i, I think it'll be better I, i'm not sure we should be expecting this to be a top 10 offense or anything, but I do expect improvement. Same question to you, Eric. What kind of improvement are you expecting to see this year? Uh, I Yeah, I think Cousins gets more comfortable. I think the offensive line, uh, you know, has a better chance um, because of some of the things that we've seen with, you know, um, you know, it couldn't get worse from a play calling perspective. Um, if Dalvin Cook stays healthy, well, basically, if their three superstars on offense stay healthy, uh, I think that they will. They they have no you know no choice but to improve. I think if Kirk Cousins is a little bit more aggressive, and Mike Zimmer can tolerate a few more turnovers here and there, uh, I think they'll they'll be better just because he has a lot of talent. When he you know decides to throw football in a certain place, there are a few that are better than him in the NFL at doing that. Um, you, you know. And I and I think having I think having Gary Kuby, you know, ha- having a Super Bowl winning coach as sort of a consultant will sort of keep Zimmer, um, you know, uh, honest. I think I, in my honestly, I true that you know I thought you know they they had the Buffalo game a season ago, they had the Rams game, and then they had kind of like a flat performance against Arizona. And and I you know my my opinion, I think Zimmer told Cousins not to not to lose and we saw like a huge shrinkage in his positively graded throw rate and his negatively graded throw rate and the problem with that is you get a very sam brad 40 in offense yeah. it's just not like it's not what you want when you're trying to you know it's what exactly what you want when you want to go eight seven and one and barely miss the playoffs with a great defense it's not what you want when you want to win the super bowl when you want to win the super bowl you have to be. You have to take the good with the bad, but you got to swing bat. And I think like if the if if Kirk swings the bat more, if Kubiak and Stefanski tell Zimmer to lay off of him a little bit and just allow him to make plays and make mistakes, you know he's obviously limited, but I think he's far less limited than what he showed last season. And to me, if he just if that adjustment is made, I think that their offense could be a lot better. It's really interesting to compare Kirk Cousins and the way he operated in the 2018 Vikings DeFilippo offense with how he operated with Jay Gruden in the 2015-2017 Washington offenses because, you know, Kirk, I think, has always been a little um, gun-shy in certain ways. I remember Jay Gruden once yelled at Cousins because, like, you know, he's like, I can only scheme them so effing open and, like, you can't be a perfectionist about this. But at the same time, you know, you look at his his average depth of target or his, his his aggressiveness into tight windows. They were much higher in Washington, and so that's something that makes me think um, he needs to be more aggressive and he needs to not be so conservative that he's so worried about an interception or a turnover that he just doesn't generate any positive plays. Um, but that makes me think that the fact that it wasn't really there in Washington gives me some hope that. Uh, it'll be better, and it was a product of the scheme and the offense he was running, and his instructions and the play, the game planning, than it was his um, sort of natural inherent limitations. So, Nick, I'm going to ask you a completely non-analytic question to follow up on the point that you just made, because something that gets thrown out, and I joke about it on a semi-regular basis, is that 
uh, a lot of the games Kirk was playing in, in Washington just didn't really matter all that much. The team wasn't that good. They weren't really going to go anywhere. He was putting up yards, putting up numbers, but the best they ever did was kind of get to the playoffs and get bounced. So how much of, of, of him being more willing to let it go in those circumstances do you attribute to, obviously, the scheme and all those things are going to play a factor, but do you also, I guess, how do you quantify, and maybe Eric can jump in on this as well, like, how do you quantify, because the, the knock on him now, fair or unfair, is that when, you know, the games actually matter, things get, you know, to crunch time, that, you know, he does, he appears to, uh, to, make, to fold and not play the way you'd want to see your franchise quarterback, maybe be overly safe, forget to spike a ball here and there, you know, things like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so how much do you think is just the scheme? Because there are instances where, I think it was even just this past week where, uh, Josh Mensch um, shared the audio of Kirk and Adam Thielen talking about, um, you know, that route where we all saw where they were you know, yelling at each other on the sidelines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Kirk's telling Thielen, you know, don't take so long to run this route when he really should never have been going there in the first place and Diggs is breaking open on the other side of the route. Like, how much of it is Kirk and kind of his process and him locking into things? Um, because there is pressure now versus, you know, just everything else that you just kind of described that is you know, schematic and wide open and all those other things. Yeah, it's a great question. And he's definitely like a robotic perfectionist where everything needs to be perfect. And he likes to throw to an open guy. At the same time, it's hard to fault a quarterback for not wanting to throw into tight windows because those contested catch throws into tight windows generally have bad results. I think like the average passer rating into those tight windows is something like 60. So you're talking like, below average quarterback play when you throw into tight windows. And we have seen Cousins be aggressive sometimes when you need to. I think the best example is that throw to Adam Thielen for the game-tying touchdown in Green Bay in week two. He threw it into the tiniest window, and it was super aggressive what he did. Um, he, he almost threw it into double coverage, but because he needed, you know, there was 30 seconds left on the game and he needed to throw a touchdown or the game was over, he did it, and they they went ahead and went to overtime with that one and ultimately coming away with a tie, which is better than a loss. Um, so we've seen it before, um, and I do think he's a little hardwired to not want to throw into tight windows. I think Jay Gruden's problem was, you know, I can scheme him wide open in the between the 20s and the green space, but when you get into the red zone and things get really tight, you can only scheme guys so open and you need to take your shots. And I think that's where Kirk Cousins can definitely stand to improve a little bit too. It helps to have guys like Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs who are so good in contested catch situations. And that's something you really saw with Case Keenum benefit from is that Keenum was really willing to just like throw it up and guys would just come down with it because they were, you know, the number one contested catch receiver and like the number six contested catch receiver, I think, by percentage in 2017. So it helps that they're really talented. And I think if once Kirk gets a little bit more time to practice with them, a little bit more chemistry to know when they're going off script, I think that will help Cousins be a little bit more aggressive. Beautiful. I think we've covered just about everything that we needed to Kirk, cover. Well, Kirk, go for it this year, man. <laughs> What do you have to lose? Eight, it's fully guaranteed. If you go eight and eight again, you're not getting another contract with the Vikings. So what like, if he what if he throws for forty two hundred yards there? Insane. I mean, like his statistics, like his statistics would have made like Steve Young blush. But like the thing is, if, if the difference between the Viking the Vikings approach to the quarterback position, if they go eight and eight or they go three and thirteen. I don't see a difference. So, like, get, I, I, other than, like, off the field, 
cultivate a little Jameis Winston, Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, because 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 the thing that Jameis like, and uh, I'm gonna you know Jameis is like my player this year. But here's the thing: Jameis goes for it, man. Jameis splits tens at the blackjack table, right? <laughs> Kirk what, Kirk's the guy that stays on a sixteen against a seven. And he's like, and he's like, Kirk would rather be Eric. I bought a book, and this is what it told me I was supposed to do. I'm sorry. Kirk doesn't want to bust. Kirk does. Kirk will take the the negative EV situation as long as it doesn't mean busting in front of all of his friends at the table. Whereas, whereas, I mean, like Jameis is doubling down on an eleven against the ten, like. And I think that that's how you have to play because at this point in time, like there's, it would be different if the Vikings were going to be satisfied with going nine and seven, but they're not. They're simply not. You know, you this is what what would what would the Vikings record have to be for them to say, okay, Kirk's the quarterback of the future? Like that's a really good question, right? Ten and six. <laughs> they, have, they have to because because here's the deal: like last season happened, but it doesn't change the reason he was signed. They, they signed him to win, to compete for the Super Bowl. He was the missing piece. So the fact that they went eight, seven, and one doesn't change the the goal of his signing, right? And, and in fact, he probably has to make up for last year to some degree and, and win a playoff game, if not two, to to have this team even think about him as long term future. So if you're cousins, the difference between going eight, seven, and one and one and fifteen is basically nothing with respect to your stature in the Vikings. So just go for it. Let her rip. That's all I, that's what I think. Let her rip. I like it. That's it. We don't think we need any more than that. I think everyone is in agreement. We just want Kirk to just, you know, let her rip. Let it go. Even though I, I, I we were joking about this in the, in the Climb in the Pocket group chat, you know, like they were talking about, you know, Kirk and his off-script plays and all that stuff. And you know that they're going to have a day – that they practice off script stuff, and you know Kirk's been practicing his off script stuff all off season. Like you know, he, like whatever they do that's quote unquote off script, Kirk probably has that memorized right now. Like right, now. I mean, it's just his nature. But you know, like I said, like I, I think, yeah, I mean, people can change their nature. Hopefully, you know, but but I think his current nature is yeah to be very scripted. Yep. So uh, the the big takeaway from this analytics podcast uh, about the Vikings offense is Kirk, let her rip. <laughs> and that's it. I don't think they don't. Yeah, we're not going to beat that. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you for coming on. Thank you for recording. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, Kirk, if you're listening, let her rip. Oh, yeah. We will uh, we'll talk to you next week talking about this here Vikings defense. Have a good one, y'all.